News Radio 92.3. It's a Pensacola expert panel. We're informative. We're local. We're dependable. I'm Jan Casey, and I'm here with Terrence Gross. And we were just talking about so many things, and I just told our previous guest, you need to listen to him because you have so many stories, Terry, uh, about what you've been doing in our area for such a long time. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to celebrate my 44th year as a lawyer here in the uh, Scammy County, Florida, and I'm pleased uh, to have done that. Uh, I am proud that I have my two sons and son-in-law in practice with me, and we serve the whole area, but we also have five offices uh, throughout uh, the Panhandle, Pensacola, Milton, Crestview, Mary Esther, and Navarre, so we love meeting people face-to-face and talking and whatever we have limited the practice primarily, probably 90%, truthfully, is car wrecks, which would include motorcycles and trucks and all that, but also uh, slip falls uh, and trip falls and the occasional dog bite. Uh, and that's pretty much what we do. Uh, if we can't help you, then we're very quick to try to refer you to a lawyer that we think that can help you because we certainly are networked and know uh, lawyers not only uh, within the state of Florida but outside. So we have very good connections with Georgia lawyers, Alabama lawyers, Tennessee lawyers, and so forth. Uh, Today I'd like to talk about tort reform. Uh, And when we talk about tort reform, people question, uh, what exactly do you mean? Well, we're not talking about French pastries. Okay. We're talking about civil actions. A tort is a civil lawsuit, you, and of course, that's what a personal injury case is. If you don't settle, it is a civil lawsuit, a tort. Um, there has been reform my entire career. I began in 1979. The before I get into that, if someone wants to wants to text you or to uh, call us live, and I love live callers, what number would they call us at? Eight five zero four three seven one six two zero, and we also want you to text. Let us know if you have any questions, anything that you are concerned about right now going on. It's eight five zero four three seven one six two zero. And I get on a roll, but just raise okay. your hand if you get a text because I, I won't will. know that, and then I will try to do a segue. But uh, so the first tort reform I can recall in my career since I began in seventy nine was in nineteen eighty one, and this was. A bit esoteric, even when it passed the lawyers, probably we didn't think much of it. Uh, We didn't know the ramifications, but most of the time when we hear about tort reform, these are laws that are passed by the Florida legislature at the urging of the biggest lobby in the state, and that would be insurance companies. And in the non-joinder statute, to explain it best, so if I was representing Tom Smith before 1981, and he was insured by State Farm, and say he caused a wreck, well, then if I sued, it would be my client versus Tom Smith and State Farm. We could actually mention the name of the defendant's insurance company. In 1981, they passed the non-joinder statute, which says, no, Mr. Gross, you cannot mention his insurance company anymore. Well, I thought, well, it's not that big a deal. Most people must figure there's insurance. How bad can it really be? And yet I've had some various experiences in the courtroom 
that have led me to believe that there are jurors out there that do worry about a defendant's exposure to money damages, thinking that hmm, yeah. maybe they don't have insurance. And I'll give you some examples. 1996, I'm in the courtroom in Okaloosa County, and I had sued an elderly lady in her 80s. I was representing a young Navy guy. He got rear-ended by her and hurt. So we sue, we can't settle, now we're in the courtroom. Well, this lady in her 80s was like everybody's grandma. Oh, no. She she was sweet, silver hair, uh, dressed like she's going to church, and had a cane, was very feeble, and then it was her time to testify. So uh, it took her a while to get up. Then she's hobbling over to the witness stand. The bailiff had to come help her up the couple of steps to get into the seat to testify before the you know the microphone and the jury. And everybody was just you know hush hush and watching this poor old lady get to the stand. And everybody loved this lady. I was smart enough as a seasoned trial lawyer not to beat up on grandma. So trust me, I did not beat up on this lady. She got up there, asked her like four or five questions. I sat down as quickly as I could. Mm -hmm. But the name of the case was my client versus grandma. It doesn't mention that grandma had a ton of insurance coverage. The jury didn't know. We got an adverse uh, verdict and actually got it reversed for a lot of reasons. One of the ones was her lawyer kept on calling her the widow lady. So he knew that. So he's trying to get extra sympathy. Yeah. And every time he mentioned that, I would object and because uh, he was trying to evoke the sympathy of the jury. And for that and another reason, we got the case reversed eventually. But it just showed me the adverse consequences because the case had value. My client was injured. Yet, I think by the end of the case, the jury felt more sympathy for the defendant who they thought was exposed to money damages versus my client. Then I get a case in Escambia County uh, years later. And for those of you that have been in the courtroom, you probably have heard just before you go to the deliberation room, a lot of judges will tell you this. Mr. Foreman, once you pick a foreman, If you've got any questions whatsoever, write them on a piece of paper, knock on the door, give it to the bailiff. The bailiff will give it to me, and I'll try to help you with that question. Right. So I'm in that case, a hard-fought case on a whiplash, and there's a knock on the door. The bailiff brings the piece of paper to the judge. Now, the courtroom's empty now because the jury's in the deliberation room, and so it's just a court reporter, the bailiff, me, and the judge, and the opposing counsel and he opens up the piece of paper and the question was does the defendant have insurance right there i mean right there in the middle of it well there is a statutory or mandatory uh required answer by the judge that's in the jury instruction manual so judges usually don't ad lib everything is pretty much thought out and the response was pretty much this the judge's response as it would be to most jury questions, was this. That is not for you to consider. Please render your verdict based on the evidence you heard and the law that I gave you. So a really a non-answer. Yeah. So obviously that jury was already thinking, if we give a big verdict, maybe the defendant has to pay for this. 
And of course, I got another adverse verdict. So it, it just taught me a lesson over the years that, that, that some of these juries do worry about the defendant actually have to pay, pay uh, personally. Yeah. And I could tell you nothing is further from the truth. Lawyers do not sue people. If we have people that have no insurance every now and then, there'll be a bad car wreck and our clients mm-hmm. got need surgery and the person has no insurance. There is not a lawyer on God's green earth that is going to sue that person. Lawyers sue insurance companies. When you sue a defendant, the defendant gets a lawyer for free. Every now and then I'll get a call from somebody freaking out. It's one of our radio listeners and they yeah. trust me. They've heard me and they go, Mr. Gross, uh, I just got sued. My, uh, daughter rear ended somebody driving my car. They've sued me. Will you be my lawyer? And I said, not only why not be your lawyer, because I represent only injured people, but you get a lawyer for free. Why would you pick any lawyer and pay them tens and mm-hmm. tens of thousands of dollars to defend you? Part of your policy says you get a lawyer for free, no matter what your limits are, whether you have a 10,000 limit or a hundred thousand limit, they have to represent you for free ad nauseum. And, and so lawyers don't sue people. We sue mm-hmm. insurance companies. If we go to court, we want to be able to collect the judgment. And it looks like you got a text or phone call. I do. Uh, some, y- some lawyers, and you're listening to Terry Gross on the Pensacola's expert panel. You can text your questions, your concerns, 850-437-1620. Some lawyers trumpet that they are a big truck accident specialist. Is there anything to this, or is a liability for personal injury just liability? Well, I'll answer the question. The reason that they say they're trucking specialists is because virtually all commercial trucks, I'm not talking about a pickup truck, they're right. talking about like an 18-wheeler or semi, there's always big limits. I mean, even even a small trucking company, I just sued one, and they only had a million limit, which is a small limit for a trucking company. Yeah. It would be a big limit for an individual. So lawyers certainly would rather have cases with companies with big limits. So there, and there are some differences. Really, when I get a trucking case, because I just settled a wrongful death case involving a truck, there are some things that are a bit different. I mean, first of all, virtually all the modern trucks have at least one dash cam. In fact, in this particular case, I just one, there were two dash cams. Uh, they, they, some of them have GPS monitors in them. Uh, there's, you know, there's rules that they have about um, the tonnage that they could tow. Are they overloaded? Was the load so heavy that it, yeah. it was too much for the brakes? So they have requirements. That's why we see the way stations. I mean, that's a reason when you're on the interstate, you see a way station. That's exactly what they're trying to see. Are, are they overweight? Um, the drivers have to have a special license, a CDL. Uh, the drivers cannot drive for certain, you know, they can't drive mm-hmm. 12 hours straight. I mean, they have regulations how far they can drive, how much sleep. So there, there are some different rules and regulations that would relate to truck drivers that don't relate to us. But I think the reason that the lawyers are overly advertising trucking cases is because they know they got big policies. That's why they're just target defendants in their mind. They're targeting big limit uh, corporations, which would be trucking companies, 
Meanwhile, you see a lot that say, oh, I'm a motorcycle specialist. Well, it doesn't take any rocket scientist to figure out, you know, a motorcycle case versus anything else. But with motorcycles, unfortunately, there is a um, truism with motorcycles. And that is even in a small, so-called small accident, someone hits a motorcycle at 15 miles an hour, which would normally be some kind of fender bender in a car, could lead to very serious bodily injury with a motorcyclist because they're not protected. Right. Broken bones and, and all that. So the injuries, by definition, are usually way more severe in motorcycle accidents versus a traditional car wreck with a seatbelt, an airbag, and, and all these things that we we have. So when you hear lawyers are doing that, they're either targeting uh, what they view as more serious injury cases or larger bodily injury limits to go against so that if there is a big verdict, they, they have the funds and the ability to pay that verdict versus some small company um, out there. So I think hopefully I've answered your question. Great yes, question. Yes, sir. And I don't mind doing a segue like that. So that, that's right on topic and that it was personal injury. So you have a chance with a seasoned lawyer, if you've been thinking about things, uh, to ask a question. So continue to text. What's the number again? 850-437-1620. And, and he is definitely a seasoned lawyer. He has, has experienced so much and you, you're going to get the answer that you're looking for. I'm pretty sure with Mr. Grush, you will. It's 850-437-1620. You're listening to the Pensacola Expert Panel. And our expert right now is Terry Gross. In, in these cases, like, is it hard to prove um, who's at fault in a motorcycle versus a car? Well, every case is different. Some okay. is just easy peasy. You get you get reared in a chain reaction rear end with multiple witnesses. Uh, yeah. Even the worst lawyer in Florida would be able to prove that one. And then there's difficult cases. The, the one case I just resolved with a trucking company that I was talking about um, there were two dash cams, but they, they, they wouldn't give it to us. And I had to fight and motions to compel whatever, but, uh, it's wrongful death. So if you think about a wrongful death, what makes a wrongful death case different than a personal injury case? There's obviously this person is dead. That's the obvious thing. But the other thing, if you stop and think about it, if there is an injury case, then what is one of the first discussions I'm having with my injured client? How did the accident happen? And they tell me all about yeah. how it happened, what was going on, and this and that and the other. Well, the wrongful death, your your clients passed away. So the victim who experienced the negligence isn't there to give their side of the story. They're gone. And that makes it very difficult. And in, in this given case, we had a case where a person passed away. And the only eyewitness was the defendant truck driver. So he got to have his story, and how do you refute that? And I spent a lot of time and effort refuting that, but the actual videos out of the vehicle, two dash cams, uh, refuted. It showed that the the driver was actually lying through his teeth, Mm. and eventually uh, the the insurance company realized this, realized this was not going to bode well in a courtroom, and capitulated, and, and, and we resolved the case. So at the end of the day, every case is different. Um, when we are looking at liability, um, 
we, right, I'll tell you something that most people don't know about. So we all know, we all know universally, because you see it on the news, when an airplane goes down, what is the first thing they do? They try to retrieve the black box. Because yeah. the black box may tell us something. There's no survivors. We don't know what happened. But the black box may tell us because that's got all the cockpit information. Well, guess what? All modern cars now have a black box. Your car has a black box. Uh, probably anything after 2015. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's a GMC or a Ford or whatever. They all have black boxes. And we retrieve them. And it's a crazy uh, how they work. Let me tell you a case I've resolved in the Mobile Tunnel. So I have a Florida guy. He's with his girlfriend. He's driving through the Mobile Tunnel. Just comes out. Traffic was backed up. And he sees traffic stopping. So he slows. He says, I came to a normal stop. I mean, I saw them. I didn't slam on my brakes. Right. And then I left some room between me and the car in front of me when I was slammed from the rear and pushed into the car in front. Well, the car in front after the accident says said, I felt two impacts. I think Mr. Gross's client hit me first, and then there was another rear end, which sometimes happens. So how can I refute that? Because my client is adamant, and his girlfriend says, no, 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 we came to a stop. Well, we did a black box download, and the download was crazy. So I go there. And the insurance company's expert was there with me. So nobody went out. We were there. I was there four hours in the mobile wrecking yard. It was hot and kind of sweaty. And, and I stood there and I saw how he retreated. I was just real curious how they do it. They go in through the dash and whatever. And it took a while. And then all of a sudden he had his own computer. Mm-hmm. He plugs in. He has these little adapters. He takes that black box. He plugs it in and, and whatever. And he's starting to read it, and he, you can say, uh-huh, mm-hmm. I said, are, are, you, are you learning anything? He goes, oh, yeah, I've learned a lot. He said that your client, 28 seconds before the accident started hitting his brakes, he was at a complete stop for four seconds and then was impacted from the rear and catapulted at 14 miles an hour into the car in front of him. So from a dead stop, it was enough force to take a – full-size vehicle and push it, but it's, it confirmed exactly what my client was saying, that my client was lying. I mean, was telling the truth that the defendant was lying uh, about what happened. And that's a case that years ago, 20 years ago, I'd be in a courtroom. He said, she said, and flip a coin, and maybe the jury goes for you, maybe they don't. Here, it took all the air out of the cells. It showed that my client was absolutely uh, telling the truth. We have another question. What percentage of cases get settled as opposed to the ones that go to trial? Well, I'll give you sort of a double answer. I probably settle 75% of my cases without having to file a lawsuit. So that means 75% settle. There's no other lawyer. There's no subpoenas. There's no judge. There's no hearings. And it may take years, but we do settle those cases. Then of the 25% I can't settle, we file a lawsuit and you go back and forth and motions and depositions and interrogatories and all kinds of shenanigans. But to answer the question more directly, probably only 1% of the cases go to court. But I'll give you a caveat on that. And I've always told my clients, I don't know which one of 100 that is. 
So I prepare each case like it's going to trial. When my client's coming to me, I'm always talking about trial. And they go, are we going to trial? Are we going to trial? I go, no, but I have to value. That's where the value comes. Because if I think I got a case I can't lose, I want more money. Right. And if I think I got a case that's got some holes in it, like Swiss cheese, I'm going to be a little bit more reasonable to deal with the insurance company and, and, and probably cut and run kind of like Kenny Rogers said, you got to know when to hold them, when to fold them. And there's a big uh, truism to that in the field of law. But uh, so I'm never going to get caught with my pants down. So we prepare each and every case we handle as if it is going exactly. to trial. As if. As if we pretend each and every one knowing it's only one out of a hundred that go, but you just don't know which one that is. Also, we have another question. How can you get the car stored computer records? How does that happen? Uh, I know on this the case you talked about, it was at the... Record yard. You have yeah. to move quickly before, because if they're totaled, what happens if they're totaled, a lot of times titles are exchanged and they go to scrap. And so if you delay, you've lost that mm-hmm. evidence. Sometimes we preserve it. Uh, we'll, we'll actually buy the vehicle. Or like the wrongful death case, we bought the vehicle. We bought it and we store, We had to store it for two or three years and pay that money. But we wanted it just in case uh, evidentiary-wise there was an argument uh, about something and we wanted to have their, it there and preserve that evidence. But the, uh, there are services out there. So there are, uh, we use a service throughout of Jacksonville actually. They, and their tech, I know him now. He'll come all the way from Jacksonville, go in and, and, and four hours was a long time. It depends on how badly damaged the vehicle is. Every vehicle's got their black box mm-hmm. in a place. Some are really hard to get to. But it could take two to four hours, and, uh, and I've been to quite a few now. So I've probably been to um, six. I had one. They did the download. The car wasn't totaled. It was drivable. They did the download in my law office parking lot. That is so crazy that that yeah. could happen. Yeah. That yeah. is just the coolest. All right, we have been talking to Terry Gross, and um, he's always every other every other Wednesday, right? Correct. We try. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, you do great. It's the Pensacola Expert Panel. Thank you for being here again. I appreciate it so much. And I do look forward to seeing you next time. Take care. Listen on air at 92.3, 95.3, and AM 1620. News Radio 92.3, WNRP, Golf Breeze, Milton, Pensacola. Steve Taylor, and here's what's happening. Pensacola's mayor says a decision has been made on the immediate future of the Malcolm Young gym. We'll talk about that story and more after Fox News on News Radio 92.3. Informative, local, dependable. 